I want to thank Dave and Erica for inviting me to preach this Sunday, and the choir who filled me up just now <laughs> listening to that song. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to see and be with you all again. Um, I, I will be a millennial preacher and preach from my laptop, so I ask that you forgive me. Uh, my iPad is out of commission at the moment. Um, let us listen now uh, from a word of God uh, through scripture. I'll be reading from um, Hebrews, if my technology as a millennial will cooperate. I will be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 3 and 8 through 16, the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Got it. Listen now for the word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith. We understand that the words were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received the power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For the people who speak in this way made it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. The word of God. Join me, beloveds, in prayer. Gracious and glorious God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My rock and redeemer. Amen. Beloveds, it is wonderful, again, to be with you this morning, having uh, been with uh, the women for the women's retreat and had wonderful memories with you all. And also, it's just good to be Christians together and to gather. And one of the things I love about PGLC is uh, you all are a really tight-knit community. It's very clear every single time I'm with you how much you love one another, how much you care for one another. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm going to put you on a pedestal. I'm not going to put you on a pedestal, but I am saying that there's something to be said about talking about living and being the community God and being it 
and it takes a village. And so I celebrate you as a minister member of this presbytery and a state supply chaplain of this presbytery uh, because that is not easy to do. And so please keep up the good work of being your beautiful, lovely selves. Now, as a chaplain, both in the hospital setting at Stanford Hospital and currently at Stanford University working with students, I've had the privilege to provide spiritual care to a diversity of humanity. They all shared one of two things in common as it related to their location. They were either in the hospital um, or they were in some fashion or form, a faculty, staff member, uh, or student at an institution of higher education. And the one thing between these two locations of hospital and higher education, the one thing they have in common to see me as a chaplain is suffering or crisis. Now, some of it was acute, some of it desperate, and frankly, some of it is just the norms and struggles of daily life. And what I've come to find over time chaplaining through the hospital during the pandemic and last fall, beginning at the university, uh, is, is there's this interesting and curious and also awful and grueling thing about suffering. Um, but when we accompany one another, and as a chaplain accompanying others and their suffering, and experiencing through prayer, meditation, and learning, that there is a power in emotional memory. What do I mean by that? There's a power in emotional memory. I believe, and I want you to stay with me on this. Okay, gotcha, a little wiggle. I believe that emotional memory is a form of traveling through time. Now I want you to think about this on a light scale. Y'all know when you daydream sometimes and you have somebody kind of snap you out of it, like where, where'd you go? Your body is still here, but you went hopefully forward in time thinking about something. Or sometimes when you have a smell, like for me, it's my grandparents come from Jamaica and they make a very specific rice and peas. Now notice I said, I didn't say rice and beans, I said rice and peas coming from the pigeon pea, which you find often in uh, South Asian food and dal, but they make this rice and peas. And when I smell that recipe of rice and peas, I am taken back in time, seeing my grandma in the kitchen laughing over this pot of rice and peas. And I'm reminded of warm memories of love. My body is here, but my mind and my spirit is back in a memory with my grandmother filled with love. And we have more extreme versions of this, right? Where sometimes we get emotional flashbacks that aren't so welcoming of something that might have been traumatic. Uh, or a memory that, that is unwanted that we might repress. Uh, we think about this like troops with PTSD, right? That they're going, they can't get out, they are stuck in the past of time. Their memories taking them back like a time machine to what was. So time, I'm saying y'all, uh, the Lord plays with time and our emotions. We travel time. All right, like we, we, we're looking for machines now, we've been looking for time machines, but we as human beings, God has given us the gift through memory and experience to travel back in time and also to imagine, to hope for a future which is traveling forward in time. 
King's speech, I have a dream, which invokes so much emotion within us, right? We are imagining and emotionally sitting in the presence of something forward in time. Y'all are time travelers. I'm, I'm not mad at this. I think you should you know, take it into consideration. It's kind of neat. And so when we talk about emotional memory, and as a chaplain, I'm sitting with people as they're sitting and going through time. I wonder how traveling in time can be a blessing and a curse. We as humans, we're often, we're told and we know, we, can, we only live in the present. We are literally living in the here and now. We can't jump forward with our bodies if we want to, even though we're scientifically, we've been trying, we can't jump back, even though Doctor Who really makes us want to believe it's possible. But we live in the present, in time. And what I love about God, and what I love about Jesus, is Jesus is in ex nihilo, Jesus before time. Jesus with us in present time. And Jesus is beyond after, alpha and omega, beginning and end. That Jesus and God and God's self is timeless. Love is timeless. The crucifixion cannot die. Why? Because you can't kill love. God was love, timeless. God, too, travels and is with us within the construct of time. To put it more concretely, and I promise I'll bring it down from an existential spot, uh, former Jewish scholar uh, and prophet Abraham Joshua Heschel would always say that the Hebrew God is a God that acts on behalf of humanity within the construct of time. So who is with us in our suffering in the moment? It is God that comes to intervene. And examples of this, when I think about it, I, uh, there's some examples from chaplaincy that come to mind for me. All this year, I had, I had a hard year, because I had to transition from the, the adrenaline rush of the hospital. I had a COVID unit while I was there. I had an oncology ICU, a bone marrow transplant unit. So I had a lot of trauma, a lot of palliative care, a lot of pain. So in some ways, for those of you who are professional caretakers or maybe just adrenaline junkies in some way, like that was my, I was like, that's my space because you can get down with somebody very quickly to their emotional needs. The, the heightened the crisis, the quicker we can get to what is bothering you, right? So in some ways, pastorally, I found those spaces very effective. And my struggle moving to the university side was, well, there's no immediate <laughs> medical crisis that is bringing you to your knees where we could surface what is spiritually ailing you. We have to dig a little bit deeper. So I, I had a, a year of adjustment and fine-tuning on how to meet students, faculty, and staff where they were outside in an acute medical setting. And one example of this was I met with a staff member, a lovely young man in his early 20s. And he was probably one of the longest-term folks that I met with, you know, about maybe once or twice a month. And what I appreciated about him is he recognized early in life how there were patterns of his behavior that were no longer serving him, how he treated young women, how he couldn't grieve over losses in his life. And he decided as a young man to immediately go and seek therapy 
and then turn to a chaplain for a spiritual care. And what this showed to me as it relates to faith, as we point out to the Hebrew text, is he was realizing sitting in some of his emotions, bringing him back in time to pain, was no longer serving him, and he didn't know how to stop, right? We've all been there. We're going back in time, and it's not serving us, and he didn't know quite how to, how to keep it moving. And so the example of his faith I give is one of persistence. What I learned from him is he knew the God that he served because he had been from the time he was a little kid all the way in his early 20s. He had a family of faith that brought him to church every Sunday. And he had a grandmother who prayed for him. And he had friends in his life who prayed with him. And eventually he was able to turn to his faith to better understand his emotional memory. And eventually, working with him, he was able to get his life back on track and heal those wounds. His persistence of faith. Faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. He was convicted of his healing and persisted upon it. Then I give another example. If I had a student that I saw pretty regularly as well, she also, in her early 20s, came from a family who was very much of faith, fervent faith. You all know some of us. You, you may have been in these families. I, I come from a lot of pastors of, uh, in my family of Assemblies of God, like very evangelical, charismatic, and we're like the weird Presbyterian portion, like in my family, right? Like, what? Y'all are just these weird liberal Presbys. Like, what are you doing? Um, and so some of us might have some spiritual religious baggage around certain forms of Christian faith practice, right, and running away from it. And this particular student, she had some of the forms of baggage, but mostly she was in grief because she could not connect to God. She believed in God, but she never felt God. And she was always like, I want what those Christians over there are having. I want what my brother and my mother talks about. And she thought something was wrong with her because she could not feel or connect with the divine. And I want to say to you all that by the time I was done with my sessions with her, that she felt and connected to God, but that's not the truth. My last session with her before the school year went out was she still struggled to connect and feel God. But what I find interesting about her faith is that, yet again, she persisted anyway. She believes there's God. She can't feel God. But she knows there's, there's God and how God has changed people's lives. And she wants the emotional memory and the peace that comes with having a relationship with God, with all understanding. And I, I ask that you pray for her, because she wants it. She's just struggling to find it. Another example I'll give is what I've learned being a chaplain at Stanford, and some of you, most of you, I'm sure, will not be surprised, is that a lot of students value themselves based off of achievement. Their sense of worth and worthiness is solely based on what they have accomplished. 
Now, all of us in here have lived enough life, and I'm talking kids included, to know that if you tie your self-worth and your accomplishments, well, there is a giant gaping hole of emptiness because when you fail, and you will fail, then who are you? Y'all with me? And this, I would argue, is a huge spiritual emotional crisis in institutions of higher education. It is not unique to Stanford when I talk to colleagues across the country. And she, this student, she came into my office and she said, I want to experience joy outside of achievement. I know it not. I want to experience love as something not a prize to be won. I don't know love outside of achievement. I don't know being loved from my family. She's like, no, my parents love me, but they love me the most when I achieve. And so she began a journey, a different journey of faith, of trying to create memories of joy and love and peace and worthiness outside of accomplishment. And so I invited her to play. I was like, well, because I'm talking, she's starting from zero, y'all. Like, she really did not know joy without achievement. And so I, I invited her to play a game with life. This is something that we chaplains do at time, because the idea is, just as the church says, reformed and always reforming, just apply that to chaplaincy. Life will bring you what comes, so play with life as it's coming to you. And so I invited her to just notice what makes her happy and take that into account as, you know, it might not be joyous, but what makes you happy as you go throughout your day? What do you like? Get to know and familiarize yourself with joy. And I invite that for you all, too. Do you know what honestly makes you happy? Can you familiarize yourself with joy? And I'm talking the basic things. The sun is shining today. Thanks be to God. The trees outside are green. Thanks be to God. We are gathered here in the flesh to worship and to love and learn from one another. Thanks be to God. The little things to create memories of love and peace and joy. And so I'm going to tie it all together with this. We have the ability to travel through time with our memories, and they can serve us or they can harm us. We have the ability to love, which conquers all fears. I truly do believe this. And you all know this as a community. I hear stories. Your pastor brags about you all the time. I hear stories of loving the hate out of somebody, of loving those who do not believe. I believe, help me with my, with my unbelief, right? Every single one of you here, even if I do not know you, I've spent enough time with enough human beings from all walks of life, all racial, ethnic, ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic incomes. I've spent enough time to know every single one of you has at least one story, if not a plethora, of how you have been loved back into who you are and who you want to be. And that that love, not only healed you in the present, but transmuted the pain from the past and helped you to build and imagine a better future. Love transcends 
time and works in and through it. So I invite us all this morning to channel your inner Doctor Who and acknowledge that you travel time when you go back in memory. And that's not a bad thing. And to acknowledge the building, the community that you all are creating as a church, also in the present, is building a new future. You are looking forward through time in order to create and build a kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and the here and now. And the power of your daily bread is powerful indeed. And so I invite you to try time travel with your faith, to be persistent, and as much as you can, consistent in lifting and holding one another up. Because it is needed in the times that we live in right now, it is needed. And so, will you all join me in a closing prayer? Gracious and glorious God, who has given us the ability, the gift of memory, and the capacity to learn and grow through our suffering. May you be with this community, Presbyterian Church of Los Gatos, now. May they continue to feel your presence and your call in their life to heal whatever wounds there are in the past, to be with them right now here in the present, and to persist with them as they co-create with you a future that we all hope for. We give you thanks for the ways in which you have blessed and consecrated who they are as a people. We give you thanks for the way that you have accompanied them throughout their lives and how they accompany one another. We give you thanks for the persistence of their faith that will not die or quit. And we ask that your love continue to shower down upon them, with them, in their hearts, so that when they encounter people in their everyday lives, they also encounter you and your love, that it might be a healing balm to the ailments of this world. And we give you thanks, because without you, none of this is possible. For you are the basis and the anchor of love, and it is love that we always already need, especially now. Amen.